Take your Bible, if you would, and join me today in Joshua chapter number three. Joshua chapter number three. Over the course of about the last year and a half, we have said, take your Bible and turn to the book of Romans. And if you're just returning with us, then don't be disappointed. We will be back in Romans. And uh, we're going to finish that book up in the, in the near future, the next year and a half. And um, so we'll, we're actually at a place where, where Paul starts to, so to speak, land the plane. But today we're going to jump into Joshua chapter 3. Do you remember when you were a kid, there were certain things that you would stand and look at and it was kind of those jaw drop moments. A wonder, something that went beyond your mind and you couldn't fully process it and something truly wonderful like, wow, how in the world did that happen? Um, We used to have, when we lived in Colorado, we had a uh, fireplace, it was a gas fireplace and there's just a little switch on the wall And uh, did you ever do this with little kids? Did you ever stand kind of like you're leaning against the wall with your hand on the switch and just say, now, if you blow on the fireplace, you can make it come on. You know, so little kid's up there and he blows on the fire and you just flip the switch and he just, oh, you know. And we did that for kids with years, you know, 18, 19 years old and they're still blowing on the fire, (laughs) blowing on the fireplace. But it's some, for lack of a better term, it's some you know, cheap imitation of a real wonder. Sometimes a a person can do what we call a magic trick and and we stand back and we like, oh, I know there's something to it, but we still are somewhat amazed. We wonder at how it's done, but it's not one of those true wonders. Sometimes we even refer to the, the wonders of the world and we stand back in awe and in wonder at something that's truly bigger more magnificent than us. The title of our message today is Wonders Among You. Wonders Among You. In Joshua chapter 3, your Bibles are open there. Look down at verse number 5 and notice the passage of Scripture that's before us. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do And here again is the title of our message, Wonders Among You. So the question for us today is, when is the last time that God did something that was truly a wonder among you? You had to stand back, and if if all things were equal, you'd have to say, God, this is the result of no one person no one thing, no, no human activity. God, this was attributed solely to you. It's a wonder that God did among you. And I suppose we could ask the question, does God still work wonders? It's an important question to ask and to answer, and I believe the answer is absolutely yes. And then God's given us this, in the Old Testament, beautiful picture book. It's really an illustration book. It it begins to detail for us in the Old Testament all of the Bible principles that are fleshed out in the New Testament. For example, you remember that, that when the lamb was slain, we call it the Passover now, but the lamb was slain, its blood was applied to the doorpost. This is when Israel's still in captivity in Egypt. And so when the angel that night, this is the last of the plagues, when the angel comes through the the, the cities, the people that night, it looks for the blood 
of the spotless lamb and it will pass over that house. There'll be no death there. And of course, that's the picture of the blood of Jesus shed for you. When John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, he says, behold, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. His blood is shed. And when his blood is applied, so to speak, to the doorposts of my heart, God looks at me and he passes over me. It's a picture. So we have in the Old Testament this beautiful picture book. In fact, I was just reading in my own personal devotions. Uh, this is just a couple of weeks ago. I'm reading and I'm reading about that rock, that spiritual rock. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 4. Listen to the verse. I have it here for you on the screen. And did all drink. Now Paul's referencing the children of Israel. And he says, and did all drink of that same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. I'm like, oh, there's the picture. And in the Old Testament, again, the wilderness wanderings, they're thirsty, and God tells Moses on multiple occasions there's pictures with water of Jesus. But do you remember the first time that they, they, they come to this rock, and God says, take out your, your rod. And Moses takes the rod and boy, he smote the rock. And the water brings forth water. The rock brings forth water. It's really remarkable. We sing today, water from the rock is what I needed. Okay, that's a picture of Jesus. And then you remember there was a, a time that had gone between. And they again need water. And this time, God says to Moses, speak to the rock. And Moses, in some, some personal, you know, heated anger, he says to the people, must we fetch you water from this rock, you rebels? And he takes out that rod and wham, he smote the rock again. Water comes out of the rock, but God says, Moses, come here. And God chastises Moses. In fact, God so disciplined Moses that you and I might stand back and say, whoa, God, that was pretty severe. I mean, I mean, he, I know he smote the rock, but God tells Moses, you don't get to enter into the land of promise. Whoa, that's serious. I mean, Moses has led the people the whole way, and he can't go into the land of promise because he just smote the rock instead of spoke to the rock. What it tells me is God takes his pictures very seriously. If Jesus is that spiritual rock, how many times was Jesus smitten for our sin? Once. Do you know the sign of, of Christianity is not Jesus on a cross. It's an empty cross. And Jesus was smitten once. And now how do we get to come to Jesus today? We come to him with boldness and we can speak with Jesus. And Moses destroyed the picture. So God takes his pictures very seriously. And do you know what we have before us in Joshua chapter 3? We have more of that picture of the Christian life. They're standing at the Jordan River. They're about to cross over into the land of promise. Now, again, get the picture right before we go any further. Okay, this is not, this is not the picture of heaven. Hey, they're going to cross over Jordan and they're going to enter into Beulah land, sweet Beulah land. And oftentimes we, we, we have this picture of, hey, they're, they're, they're going, I'm crossing the Jordan into heaven. But it's really not the picture of heaven. The wilderness wanderings were a picture of, of a Christian, that's true, but not a spirit-filled, victorious Christian. 
And what God's doing now, okay, let's stop wandering in the wilderness. Let's cross over the Jordan. Yeah, there's some battles for you to fight over there, but I want you to know I'm the one who goes before you and I will fight your battles for you. Victorious Christian living. So now in the place we pick it up, Joshua chapter three, we find that Israel is at the edge of the Jordan and it's the same place they had found themselves 40 years before. Now, we're going to see unfold for us, I think, a pattern of what does victorious Christian living look like? And look at what the first thing is that God has these people do is they're going to demonstrate a pattern, a picture for people like you, people like me, for God to do what he always desires to do. And that is wonders among you. Okay, look in your Bible again, if you would, down at Joshua chapter 3. Let's look at verse number 1. Joshua chapter 3, verse number 1. Hey, before we read it, let let me just tell you, here's what they're about to do. They're going to have to face their fears. Look at Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before, do you see the next couple words? Before they passed over. Now listen, this is God's intention for them to go from one side of the Jordan to the other side of Jordan, and there's no way humanly possible that they're going to do it. They're going to have to have a wonder among them. Okay, so what do they have to do first? The first thing they have to do is they have to, what you're looking at in front of you, they have to face their fears. Now, don't raise your hand because I'm not trying to embarrass any of us, but, but truth be told, most of us, if we were asked, hey, is there anything that is fearful in front of you right now? Would there be something? Most of us would be raising our hands. You say, well, why why are you saying they have to face their fears at this point? Because do you remember what happened 40 years prior? They have just spent 40 years in the wilderness wandering, watching person after person die so that the children, so to speak, can pass over into the land of promise. Do you remember the song? Maybe you learned it when you were a kid, if you grew up in church or junior church. Do you remember the song, 12 men went to spy in Canaan? Remember the song, 12 men went to spy in Canaan, 10 were bad and two were good? What do you think they saw in Canaan, 10 bad? Some saw giants big and strong. Some saw grapes clusters long. Some, two, saw God was in it all. 10 were bad, two were good. The last time they stood at Jordan, they went away in utter defeat. Do you know one of the things that Satan oftentimes uses to prevent us from advancing in our future is a continual reminder of our past. I wonder what your past is like. Do you ever find yourself at a certain place and it's almost as if every time I fail here, this is my failure, this is my history, this is what I'm always like, I never can get past. And you know, before they're ever going to advance into promised land living, they've got to reconcile with the failures of their past. 
And so now they're standing at Jordan at a time when the Jordan overflows all its banks. Do you know, all of us face different things that we say, man, this, this is fearful to me. Maybe it's not a failure of your past. Maybe it's just an uncertainty regarding your future. Lord, I've, I've never gone this way before. It's one of the phrases that we're going to see in our passage. Well, they've been here before. They've just not gone the successful way before. We've not gone this way before. Do you know the Bible tells us that God has not given us the spirit of fear? but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In other words, of sound thinking. By faith, they had come to the place where God, you are going to have to do something. Okay, just, just take note for a few moments. One of the things that oftentimes is the controlling factor of our advancement into like, this is new territory. One of the things that so often controls us is what we refer to as our emotions our emotions. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever been embarrassed, surprised by the, the strength, the outpouring of emotion, and sometimes the emotion of fear? It reveals itself in anxiety, in troubled thinking, like, why, why can't I get past this? And so many times what we start to do is we try to figure out any way around the fearful situation. Do you know for Israel, there's no way around it. If they're going to get into victorious Christian living, promised land living, there's only one way there, and they're going to have to some way, shape, or form get across the Jordan. You know, I think God oftentimes, we say, God, would you please remove the obstacle? Build a bridge, Lord, do something. And God says, no, 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 here's what I want you to do. I want you to come face to face with the very thing that you fear. Is God bigger than your Jordan River? Is he bigger than the obstacle that is in front of you? Is he bigger than your emotions? You say, but my emotions are so powerful. You know, seldom will you feel your way into a right way of acting. But you can act your way into a right way of feeling. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I told our church about this. A couple of years ago, I was out walking my dog, Sadie. And so we're walking and... And as we're walking, we go by a house and a door opens. We're on the sidewalk, a door opens, and a lady stands there and she has her dog on a leash. And as soon as we're walking, I mean, we're walking, the door is right there, and that dog looks at us walking in front of their house. And the dog, I mean, it didn't come unleashed, but it came unglued, okay? That dog is just like, oh, it's barking, growling, pulling, and that lady is holding on for dear life. And so, you know, Sadie and I are both looking at the dog, and we're walking fast, you know. So she's looking at me, looks at the dog, and we just, like, we're moving on quickly. So we get past the house, we're in front of the next house, and all of a sudden Sadie turns around and looks, and I turn around and look, and that dog had pulled out of its collar. It was now unleashed, okay? It's unhinged, it's unleashed, and so, and it's just like, boom, it is charging towards us. So man, I'm, I mean, I'm looking and I'm backing up, and Sadie, now Sadie hides behind me, smart dog, okay? And so she's behind me and the dog's trying to get to Sadie. And so now they're chasing around and I'm spinning around in circles and the dog's biting my dog. So I grab my dog and I pick up Sadie and she's, you know, she's a, a, a healthy sized dog, but I got a hold of Sadie. And now the dog's trying to get at me and Sadie. I mean, the dog is unhinged. I love dogs, okay? I'm a dog lover. How many of you love dogs? 
Amen. How many of you love cats? Okay. And so I... <laughs> I love dogs. And so this dog, I mean, I, I love dogs, but this dog is, is like, it's just, it's not thinking clearly. So I kick the dog, okay? Don't judge me, all right? So I, I mean, the dog's going crazy. So I, I kick the dog and the dog doesn't slow down. I mean, he just is going crazy. I kick the dog again. I kicked the dog repeatedly, okay? And, and finally, the dog got the picture, like, this is not the scenario that I wanted to happen. And so, you know, the dog, finally, seriously, the dog's like, okay. Now, I didn't hurt the dog, but I did get its attention. And the dog trots off, and it heads the other way. And you know what I have found about my emotions is sometimes my emotions can't be reasoned with. In some way, shape, or form, I have to like kick my emotions into some attentive state. Like if, if I listen to my emotions, am I ever going to cross the Jordan? And God brings his people to a place where he says, you're going to have to face not only your fear, like, wow, this is the time when it overflows all its banks. You're going to have to face your failures of your past. And there's only one way you're going to get across to the other side, and that is, all right, come on, let's face this fear and let's move forward. I don't know where you're at today with fear, but there is a God who is greater than your fear. And listen, if God just simply continually removes the fear, where is the faith that God is bigger than our Jordan? The first thing that they do, they have to face their fear. Let's go a little bit further in this passage. Notice the second thing. Down at verse number five, we saw this earlier. But notice what he's telling them to do. Verse number five. We'll hit this quickly. But Joshua said unto the people, sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The second thing they have to do is they have to sanctify themselves. You say, well, well, isn't God the one who does the sanctifying? Now listen, here's what God does. God does set us apart. He sanctifies us, but now God's telling them to do something. He's saying, all right, live like or act like who you are. So what do you mean by that? Okay, what does it mean to be sanctified? It's not a confusing word. Justification is a one-time legal act whereby God declares a guilty sinner to be righteous. Sanctification is this process. It's growing into the likeness of Christ. It is, in a sense, it's kind of like, does your mom ever say, hey, wash up for dinner? Set yourself apart for something. Okay, this is not playtime, this is dinner time. Sometimes she'd even say, hey, we don't do that at the dinner table. Okay, wash up, this is dinner. This is, okay, so it means to be set apart. So you, you have all kinds of sanctified. Like, listen, if you're a husband, um, do you have like an old shirt or something that your wife keeps trying to throw away? And you find it, like, you, like, what is this doing? In the, hey, hey, babe, what is, she says, throw it away. Here's what you could say. You could say, no, babe, this is sanctified, okay? <laughs> what that means is it's set apart. This is special. And, and forgive the analogy about, about an old shirt, but, but here's what you are. You are set apart by God. And so God tells the people, set yourself apart. Now, there was a ceremonial thing that they would do. There were, there were ceremonial washings that they would do. And again, here's what they are. They're pictures. 
So they would, they would oftentimes, they would go down one side into a water and then they would come up the steps on the other side, picturing, I went down this way, but I came up another way. I went down dirty, ceremonially speaking, but I came up clean. There's this picture that God says, hey, wash up. I'm going to do something special among you. You know, I wonder sometimes if, if our lives are lived in ways that are in any way, shape, or form different from the world around us. God calls you his special treasure. If the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the fullness thereof, and he chose you to be his special treasure, I wonder if we're actually living sanctified, set-apart lives that are, are, in a sense, living like who we are. Are you different from the world? You say, well, I'm a Christian. Okay, so, so do you live like one? Well, what does a Christian live like? They live like one who understands God is my father. I'm part of his family. And I was created for something bigger than me. To give God glory means another person sees you and someone else looks at you and they say, wow, I have a, a high opinion of their God because they're looking at you. So therefore, the, the manner with which we interact with a person at a checkout counter or the way we interact with someone at lunch today or the, the way we, we present ourselves in a digital world, the kind of language that we use, the kind of steps that we take, the way we present ourselves, I mean, at any given moment, whether we're eating or drinking or whatever we're doing, we're doing all to the glory of God. We're letting our light so shine that other people may see our good works and glorify, have a right opinion, and glorify our Father which is in heaven. So he tells the people, come on, you want them to see me do a wonder among you? Campus church? You want to see God do a wonder among us? Well, he may be waiting for us to at least acknowledge our fears. Lord, I'm, a, I'm afraid of this. And he says, I know, but trust me. And then he may be saying, all right, now wash up. Set yourself apart. Let your life, the light of Jesus Christ, shine in such a way that others may see. I, I've told this story so many times, but every time I tell it, I think, Lord, that was one way that they were trying to at least acknowledge. You know, when, when I pastored in, in Colorado, we had a youth pastor that was single. We had a kindergarten teacher that was single. And we all knew, you know, they're going to get together. And they did, okay. And so he fell in love with her and she fell in love with him. And, and they're going to get married and I'm going to do their wedding. And I'm, I'm excited, you know, because his name's Quentin, her name's Theo Ann, and uh, we're just excited for him. It's wedding time, and I'm doing the wedding. And so I'm there, and I always try to sound more pastoral, you know, dearly beloved, you know. And uh, we're doing the wedding, and, and there was something that I knew as we got right towards the end of the wedding. I knew that Quentin and Theo Ann had just said when they first started dating, they, they weren't trying to make this like, this is what you have to do. They didn't even present themselves like, we're better than everyone else. They didn't do any of that. They just said this, hey, 
For us, we want our, the first time we kiss, we want it to be when he says, I pronounce you man and wife. So I knew that, and they didn't make a big deal about it. In fact, I don't know how many people in the auditorium would have known that. It was just something that they decided. So I'm there, and I say, as a minister of the gospel and authorized by God, so to do, I now pronounce that you are man and wife. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Quentin, you may kiss your bride. And I'm standing there. And I knew that this is going to be their first kiss. Now, this is a little insider information, okay? It's always for pastors a little awkward when you're standing that close to kissing people. <laughs> okay, nobody stands that close to kissing people normally. And you don't really know what to do. So, you know, Quentin, you may kiss your bride. What do you do? <laughs> do you stare? You know? Do you rate it? 8.2. I mean, what do you? <laughs> I don't really know what you're supposed to do, but I'm standing there. And I say, Quentin, you may kiss your bride. And so he just very sweetly, he takes her, has her hands, and he holds her, and he kisses her. And it's really sweet. And then, and nobody else could hear this except me. I'm just standing there, and he kissed her. And then he, he comes back and he takes her hands. And so he kisses her, takes her hands, and then he just whispers. And I'm not being silly about this. He just whispers, wow. <laughs> and here's what I thought. And I'm not being at all inappropriate. I thought first of many. First of many. Why the special wow? Because they just said, let's be different. Everyone expects today that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, with my body. And sometimes people have come to the Jordan and they said, listen, I have a past and I'm afraid about, you know, what I would do. I, I can't get past this. Listen, let's face your past. And let's say, okay, I may have a past that's marked by failure, but that doesn't mean that my future has to be defined by my past. I have a God who is bigger than my past. And you know what he told me to do? He said, set yourself apart, sanctify yourself, wash up, live like who you are. So the first thing they did is they, they said, okay, we're, we're going to face our past, face our fears. The second thing they do is they said, okay, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to wash up, set myself apart. Look at the next thing they do. Look down at verse number, um, verse number nine. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. Come here, he said, and listen, hear the words of the Lord your God. Do you know the third thing they do? If God's going to do a wonder in front of them, here's the third thing they do. They received instruction. They received instruction. Campus church, one of the most important questions that any church member can, can ask and answer is, can I be instructed? Can I be taught? Am I a person who can actually receive some instruction? Do you know, I think parents, if we just talk to parents for a moment, I wonder if we receive instruction... If our children received instruction the same way that we receive instruction, how would our children receive instruction? 
Can you be instructed? In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 32, the Bible says, He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul, but he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. The person who will not be instructed, hey, don't tell me what to do. He that refuseth instruction. Do you know what the Bible says? It says they, they despise themselves. While they think, no, I'm protecting myself. He said, no, you're not. You're actually hurting yourself. Can you be instructed? Well, I don't like the way they said it. L listen, oftentimes we may not like the way something is said. That's really not the question. Is what was said accurate? I think when we offer instruction, we should say it in the manner with which it can be most readily received. I think that would be wise. But you say, well, well, what if it's not said in the best way? That's then not the question. The question is, can you be instructed? He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul, but he that heareth reproof. He that heareth, he, he that can accept it. I, I hear it. Yeah, there was some truth to that. There was something valuable about that. I needed to hear what you were saying. He that heareth reproof getteth understanding. We don't have a lot of time to spend on this, but the question that you and I are asking right now is, can you receive instruction? It's one of the prerequisites for God doing a wonder among you. Now look at the next one. This is really the last thing that God says, okay, here is what's going to be necessary before I do a wonder. This is what I'm asking you to do. He's saying, okay, here's, here's what you, you got to face your fear. Okay, I know, I know it's overflowing all its banks. Face it. I failed here in the past. I know you did face it. And then he says, all right, now wash up, sanctify yourself. Now receive instruction. Let me, let me, he's saying, teach you something. And then finally, the last thing, look down at verse number 15. And as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon and heap. Do you know the next thing that they did? They got their feet wet. They just put their foot in the water. Now here's the progression. The progression is it's the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, so they have it on their shoulders, four priests with the staves that went through the sides of the Ark, and they go. Now I don't know, this is purely speculative on my part, but I wonder who was the priest, you know, the, the two in the front that first had to put their foot in the water. Maybe they offered the other guys, hey, you want to carry the front one today, you know? I mean, what if it doesn't? Don't we ask those questions? What if I take a step and it doesn't work like I thought it was going to work? What if I take a step and God, I, I just made the fool. God, what if I face my fear and my fear actually becomes my reality? God, what if... Do you know the next thing that God says, here's what's going to happen. I, I told you to face your past, face your fear. I said it's time to wash up, be instructed, and now all I'm asking you to do next, if you're going to see me do something wonderful, then you're going to have to do something simple. Put your foot in the water. Okay, my wife really, she's a, an excellent swimmer, and I'm not. I'm, I'm like a, you know, I... I'm a mess in the water. I love the water, but I'm not this like, whoa, what a sleek, Julie, really great swimmer. But I am a much better enter the waterer, okay? 
Like I'm like, get him, ball! You know, and she's like, oh, it's a little. You know, she's kind of that kind of a very care, put one foot in the. And you know, isn't it wonderful that God didn't tell anyone to, to so to speak, do a cannonball in the Jordan? Do you know what he says? He says, here's all I'm asking you to do. Just take a step forward. And isn't that the Christian life, Campus Church? Really, isn't that the Christian life? The steps of the good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. We take one step. God doesn't say, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get all the way to the... He doesn't say that. He says, you just put your foot in the water. Does God still do wonders? Do you have a history marked by the fact that God in your life has done one after another after another? Some time ago, Julie and I sold a, uh, a glass top table and it had a heavy metal base, a clear glass top, and we listed it and somebody called and, and um, his name was Jerry. And so Jerry came over and he says, yeah, he was kind of a gruff, a little bit older guy and and he said, I'll take it. And so we said, great. And he said, hey, can you, uh, can you deliver it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can. So I put it in my vehicle, and, and he and I drove over to his house. And, and, uh, and so we start to unload it. We get the chairs in. And, and then um, I have the glass top. And then Jerry grabs the base, this heavy metal base. And it had four rubber grommets on the top that the glass would sit on. And when he picked it up, I said to Jerry, I said, Jerry, be careful of those rubber grommets. He says, yeah, 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 I got it. So he carries it in, sets it down. We, put the, we get ready to put the glass top, and, you know, you're two steps ahead of me. One of those little rubber grommets was missing. It had fallen off. And so I said, Jerry, and he's like, oh, oh come on, let's find it. So we retrace our steps. We're walking, and we're looking everywhere, and we, we looked everywhere, and we can't find it. And I told Jerry, I said, Jerry, I feel so bad. I said, we're missing that piece. And he's like, ah, it's all right, that's all right. And, and then I asked him the question. I said, hey, Jerry, do you go to church anywhere? Ah, uh, yeah, I go to. And he couldn't remember the name of the church. And to me, that's always fair game, okay? You know? So I invite him to church. And I said, Jerry, you know, more important than where you go to church is where you're going to go forever. And Jerry, do you know if you're going to heaven someday? Ah, uh, you know, I don't know. And. And I shared the gospel and went, went through the whole gospel. And he listened and asked questions. And, and I asked him, Jerry, would you like to receive what Jesus is offering? No, not, no, not right now. And okay, Jerry. And, and I finished that presentation and got his number, contacted him again later. And so we're walking out and I'm standing in his front yard and, and getting ready to go. And, and before I left, I'm just standing there. And I said, Jerry, I'm sure nice to meet you. And, and I said, hey, I feel so bad about that little rubber piece. And then Jerry, he's standing on his porch, and he said, oh, it's okay. And then he said, I don't think even your God could find it. Oh, okay. Have you ever had one of those little, like, in-the-moment prayers? You know, like Nehemiah. He prayed to the God of heaven, and he said to the king. So he, Jerry goes, I don't think even your God could find it. I'm like, oh. Hey, Jerry, look at what my God can do. And Jerry goes, oh, oh, sends chills up my back, he said. <laughs> you know, it's a little piece of rubber. It's just a little grommet. But do you know what it was at that moment? It was a little wonder. 
And you know what God still does every day if you look around? Wonders among you. Campus church, it's time to face your fear. It's time to wash up, set yourself apart, receive instruction, and then put your foot in the water. And God still does do wonders among you.